Three weeks ago, we began a series of lessons on dangers in the desert. We talked about doubt. We talked about discontent. We talked about defiance. And this morning, we're going to talk about impatience. I have thought about extending this series of lessons because there are so many wonderful things to be learned by studying the exodus of the children of Israel and they're wandering through the wilderness toward the promised land and the comparison of that with us as well. In order to introduce our lesson this morning, I'd like to begin, first of all, with a self-evaluation. How would you characterize yourself? Patient or impatient? I already know the answer to that question for myself. I'm not sure how each of us would look at it for our own selves. Maybe to put a little more personal, when you want something, do you want it right then? Do you go to a fast food restaurant and want the food faster than they can deliver it? We live in a world today of fast cash. People want to be able to have money and have it immediately. We even have advertisements on the television which say, that's my money and I want it now. There are people who will say, buy now, pay later. You can have it all now. Are you willing to work for something? In fact, for years in order to obtain it. The Bible talks about, for instance, Jacob. When he went to Paden Aram and there worked for seven years for his wife, Rachel. Seven years to be able to purchase his wife. That tells you the kind of patience that that man had. Israel, on the other hand, was very fickle. Israel was impatient with God and impatient with her circumstances. This lesson will be a discussion of Exodus chapter 32 and the lessons that are found therein. There are four things that I'd like for us to observe. The first one being the delay of Moses coming down from the mountain that resulted in digression because of dissension. Second of all, I'd like for us to talk about the diplomacy of Moses, how he interceded to God on behalf of the children of Israel, both before he came down from the mountain and after he came down. Number three, to talk about dancing with the devil. I don't know if you thought about that, but there's some dancing going on in Exodus chapter 32. And then number four is that of discipline. What did God do to the children of Israel? Let's begin, first of all, with the idea of the delay of Moses. And to begin with, we have to go and look at those first six verses. And I want you to keep your Bibles open. They're going to be on the screen. But it may be that you'll want to make a note in your Bible with regards to some of these details. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, the, we do not know what has become of him. 
And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with a graving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. You might wonder, how long was Moses on that mountain? You know, there was a, a period of time in which they expected him to come down. And Moses, according to chapter 24, verse 18, he went up and was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. How long of a period of time is that? Well, let me give you some comparison. Six weeks from today, we begin our gospel meeting. Brother Larry Acuff will be here with us for that gospel meeting. That's 42 days. Take two days off of that, and that's how long Moses was up on that mountain. That was longer than they anticipated. How long should it take Moses to go up and speak to God? Everybody has in mind something which they expect. When you came here this morning, you expected the services would last roughly an hour long. What if I got up and said, I have a lot prepared to say today and I plan on speaking for three hours? Some of you would say, that's not what I anticipated. That's longer than I anticipated. I know what would happen after about an hour. One would ease out here, another would ease out there. It wouldn't be long before several would ease out. People are not people of patience if it's longer than they expect then things will start to take place. This is not something they anticipated. Forty days in their mind was too long. The way they referred to Moses indicates their attitude of heart toward him. As for this Moses, the man that brought us up out, it's almost like he's a forgotten person other than the fact that we don't want to listen to him. It was a very crude way, even in the Hebrew language, of referring to Moses. Something very interesting in this section, though. They said to Aaron, make us gods. All the way since the creation of man, man has been a worshiping being. In fact, according to Acts chapter 17, that's the way God made man. Of one blood he made all men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation that they should seek after him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, Paul tells the Athenians. 
You see, they were wanting something to worship, something to serve. They were a religious people. But Aaron complied with their request. He became impatient too. Why didn't Aaron say to these people, Moses is my brother. He'll be back shortly. He's not been gone that long. But he too had become impatient. He has a solution in mind. Already has it there. He tells them to break off their gold earrings. Evidently when they left Egypt, when they spoiled the Egyptians, they brought a lot of gold with them. If there were approximately 3 million in this number, we know there are 605,000 men, then you can imagine the vast amount of gold that would have been collected. And then, according to this text, it says he made a molded calf. That is, it was put in some sort of mold in order to fashion it. But then it talks about the engraving tool, which means that not only was it cast, but even beyond that, that it was shaped and fashioned into the shape of, the original word means a young bull, a young calf. And he proclaimed, and they proclaimed, this was the God that brought them out of Egypt. They saw it. They said, that is our God now that brought us out of Egypt. And notice carefully, if you read that text, Aaron built an altar for sacrifice. And they brought burnt offerings. They brought peace offerings. Sacrifices to this idol. Now you can imagine what's going to take place. I want you to notice with me verses 7 through 10 because God's anger is going to burn hot. And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down. For your people who you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way and onto a way that, out of the way which I commanded them. And they have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. God is angry. God is ready to destroy the whole group of them. Now you can imagine that. He's rightly angry at these people. But while Moses is still on the mountain, still there with God, Moses intercedes for the people. Notice with me verses 11 through 14. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with a great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? 
Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and all this land of I have spoken I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to this people. Here is Moses pleading, interceding on behalf of these people. Did they deserve to be destroyed? Most certainly. But Moses is begging God not to do that. Now, if you carefully read this section, you also notice that Moses himself will descend from the mountain. When he arrives, he's going to be angry himself. And he's going to be willing to discipline these peoples. We'll notice in a moment. But let me point out to you that he continues to intercede for these people. Notice with me verses 30 through 33. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin. So now I go up to the Lord and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, All these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive the sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Moses said, Lord, if you are willing to forgive, please do. But if not... Let me go down with my people. And God said, No, Moses, only those who have sinned. But Moses continued to intercede for the people. I don't know if you've thought much about this, but I have thought about it a lot this last week. These people here did not respect Moses. This Moses who led us up, we don't know what's coming of him. Number two, they blamed Moses for all the the difficulties, the problems that they were going through. It wasn't Moses' fault, but they blamed him anyway. These people murmured. They complained. They even said, Moses, who put you in this place? Korah, Dathan, and Abiram challenged him. Even his own brother and sister were not respectful of him at various times. According to Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Can you imagine somebody interceding for you, pleading for you, when you treated them like dirt? That's what Moses did for the children of Israel. But, you know, the reality is we know that because... When it comes to Jesus, listen to Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man would someone even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What a tremendous thing that he was willing to sacrifice. And number three, 
dancing with the devil. If you'll notice with me, verses 17 through 19. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. And so it was, as soon as he came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. You do know what those tablets were, don't you? Those were the Ten Commandments written on stone, written with the very finger of God. And Moses became so angry, he threw them down at the foot of that mountain and broke them. Look with me. They're coming down the mountain. And they're hearing a noise. About three million people making noise. You think about this morning before Brother Caleb got up here to announce. Everybody was talking. You hear the noise of, of people discussing things. That's nothing like the noise of a football game on a Saturday in the South. When people shout and scream, you can tell what kind of noise it is. And Joshua's hearing a loud noise. And is it the noise of battle, war? No, can't be because I don't hear the shouts of victory, nor do I hear the cries of defeat. So that's not what it is. But then he hears singing. The kind of singing that goes with a religious service. And as he draws near, what does he see? He observed the golden calf and the people dancing around it. People dancing around that golden calf. Let me point out to you that the kind of dancing that you see here is one that is related to exuberance with a religious significance. For instance, 2 Samuel 6 and verse 14, Then David danced before the Lord with all of his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. Or Exodus 15, 20, about Miriam. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. This is not, I repeat, this is not the modern dancing gyration to rock music or any other kind of music. This is not a boy and a girl dancing, either clinging to one another or staring at one another. This is leaping, and David is doing it with all of his might. They're dancing around that golden calf. They're dancing with the devil. Some of you may not like what I'm about to say. Hollywood mocks religious values with such movies as Footloose, Dirty Dancing, 
And some Christians are so foolish as to think they can join in and participate in those things and not be participating with the devil? Do you realize as Moses and Joshua arrive and what they see and how angry it makes them become? How do you think God looks when people mock Him and He sees the immorality that goes with that? Dancing with the devil. Number four is discipline. Verses 20 through 29 it's going to discuss how God is going to handle this matter. Then he took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire. This is Moses now. And ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought this great sin upon them? So Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods that shall go before us. For is this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt? We do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, Whoever has gold, let them break it off. And so they gave it to me, and I cast it in the fire. This calf came out. Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them, to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood at the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves to him. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord that he may bestow a blessing this day. For every man opposed his son and his brother. The people were made to consume the object of their worship. They were made to drink the gold that was in that golden calf, ground into powder. Aaron was rebuked, and he deserved it. Aaron was wrong. He didn't restrain the people. In fact, he helped the people, and I believe he lied as well. I throw this gold into that fire, and look what popped out. When the text says that he molded it and he engraved it. He tried to blame the people, but he was more than willing to proclaim the feast day after he saw the result of the people. Then there was an offer to stand on the Lord's side. Moses said, whoever's on the Lord's side, come stand here with me. And it was the sons of Levi that came and stood with Moses. And what resulted? 3,000 
were slain for their sin that day. See, discipline is never easy. But it must be practiced by those on the Lord's side. And he said, This day everyone opposed his son and his brother. Now for just a few moments, I'd like to summarize all of this together. Getting in too big of a hurry is a sure sign of problems. Every one of us reflect at some point on something in our lives that makes a point. I remember many years ago, right after I graduated from college, my first job was working in a bank. And they waited till the bank closed and all the employees lined up in a line at a teller window and said, okay, we're going to train you how to do this. And every one of them came up to the window and they would just say, hurry, 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 hurry. And they said, one of the first things you learn is don't get in a hurry because if you get in a hurry, you're going to make a mistake. That's true with money, math, and figures. And that's true spiritually as well, too. Sometimes people are looking for things to happen too fast. People want churches to grow real big, real fast. And you know in the parable of the soils, Jesus talked about that which was sown on the good ground that represented the good and honest heart. And he said it brings forth fruit with, you know what the word is there? Patience. Patience. Just listen to what Solomon said. Proverbs 19.2 Also it is not good for a soul to be without knowledge and he who hastens, sins, who hastens with his feet. Proverbs 21.5 The plans of the diligent surely lead to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. 29 verse 20 Do you see a man hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. 1 Timothy 5, 22. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. We have to learn to wait on God. He'll do things in His time. One of the most encouraging passages of the Bible found in Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You walk with God, you're going to do well. Impatience arises often because we're short-sighted only looking at the present the children of Israel were standing there at the foot of Mount Sinai. And in their mind, going through their mind is, we're ready to go. We don't know about this Moses. We're only looking at the here and now. You know so many people look at life, they just look at what they're going to get today. They don't look at next week, next month, next year, next ten years. Short-sightedness. 
I think about Moses interceding for the children of Israel. He went above and beyond the call of duty. We ought to be thankful that we have one who intercedes for us as well. Listen to Romans 8.34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. Furthermore, is also risen from the dead. Even who is at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. Who is it that condemns? The same one that's making intercession for us. Listen to Hebrews 7.25. Therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. What the writer is saying is Jesus is also now making intercession for us. Just a few moments ago, as I partook of the Lord's Supper, I thought of the things the Lord said while he was on the cross. The very first thing he said was, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Too many Christians are trying to dance with the devil while still claiming to be God's. Folks, somewhere along the line, we're going to have to make up our minds whose side we're on. You can't keep straddling the fence. You can't keep saying, I'm going to keep one foot in the world and still enjoy the world and the pleasures it's offering and then also try to keep a foot in the church. You've got to make your mind up whose side you're on. Discipline is to help people see the error of their way and to warn others. The discipline of God on these people was not too harsh. Discipline is to try to help people. The greatest dangers that the children of Israel faced in the desert were the ones from within. It wasn't the various animals was it the lack of water or the lack of food? It was their doubt, their discontent, their defiance, and their impatience. To listen to one last verse, and then we're going to extend the Lord's invitation. Now all these things happen to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition, upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. The purpose of these lessons was to try to get us to look at ourselves carefully as we wander through this life toward our promised land because we want to make it there. We want to make it to the promised land. If you'll take your songbooks out, and prepare to sing the invitation song. It's very likely that in our audience this morning we have several people who need to obey the gospel. You've heard sermons preached. You've sat in Bible classes where you've heard the gospel plan of salvation discussed. It's so basic, so simple. You believe in Jesus the Christ. You repent of your sins. You confess your faith in Him and then you're baptized for the remission of your sins. 
God forgives you. You're pure. You're holy. You're righteous. You're added to the church. We recognize, though, that as we wander through this life, that even though once saved, we can still be lost. And so we're privileged that once becoming a Christian, if we sin, to be able to ask for God's forgiveness and be restored. It may be that's what you need to do this morning. If it is, we encourage you to respond as together we stand and sing.